I would like to focus upon some biblical reasons why the subject of discipline is so tremendously important. How we respond to discipline is one of the keys of life. Not only in good um, family situations and culture situations, but in relation to God. One of the great disasters for our country, and I think one of the reasons we're in, the severe problems we're in, is that modern psychology throughout the importance of discipline, ignored the basic sinfulness of man, and in so doing, ruined our homes and did a great deal to destroy our culture. Now, certainly not all psychologists have done that. Many believe in discipline. One of the best books written on discipline is Dare to Discipline by Jim Dobson, a book that I would heartily recommend to every parent to read. But I'd like for us just to take a few minutes tonight and go through Hebrews chapter 12, the first 15 verses. And I want to share with you some thoughts on why the subject of discipline is so important. That's all I'll get done this evening. I'd like for you to keep your outline. The next time I deal with this subject, we will put new outlines in the bulletin. But I'd like to suggest that you work through this outline. And even though some of the words are missing, perhaps you can come up with those words. I'd hope that we'd at least get far enough tonight that we could share those. But I do want to share why the subject of discipline is so tremendously important. First of all, discipline is designed by God to assist us in our struggle against sin. Notice those opening verses of Hebrews chapter 12. A wonderful chapter on discipline. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's pointing back to the Hall of Faith chapter and all these persons of Old Testament times that are mentioned, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, 
you have not yet resisted unto blood, unto the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Discipline is meant to be one of those great assists that God has designed to give us in our struggle against sin. And that's why it's so important for parents to learn to discipline your children. To be a biblicist, you must believe that your child is born with a sinful nature. And you don't have to be very wise to see that very quickly. As much as grandparents hate to admit it, how many times I have witnessed the sinfulness of my youngest grandchildren in astonishing ways of rages and temper tantrums, of defiance, even lying. And God has designed discipline as the means of assisting that child to learn to rise above his sinful nature. And without it, he inevitably ends up in disaster. It's true of those of us who are Christians. If we do not learn to submit to discipline, we will not learn to walk with God. Because God builds discipline into his relationship with us so that we may correct our sinful paths. A second reason why discipline is so important, a right attitude about discipline will protect us from losing heart when discipline comes. Look at verses 5 and 6. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, if we have learned to submit to discipline from our parents, we will learn to respond to God's discipline in a corrective manner, just as God intends that we ought to. So a right attitude about discipline will protect us from losing heart. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. If you have the right kind of attitude, you won't. You'll be encouraged. God loves me. He's correcting me. He's refining me. 
And that ought to be the attitude of your child as you discipline under the guidance of the Lord. Number three, discipline by God is an inevitable experience for every Christian. Verse six makes that plain. The Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. Eight says it this way. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. You see, discipline is an absolute. Because you are sinful, because you need correction, because you need to grow in grace and holiness, as God is holy, inevitably God disciplines everyone. Now, if God does that with his children, what tragedy we bring on ourselves when we as parents neglect the urgency of disciplining our children as God disciplines them. Number four, good parental discipline of children prepares children to properly respond to God's discipline. Did you ever think of that, parents? You see, in the life of a child, the authority of the parent in a remarkable way illustrates God. Notice how that's brought out in verses 7 through 9. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then are you illegitimate children and not true sons? I've often said to somebody I knew was walking in sin as a professing Christian, are you experiencing God's discipline in your life? And oftentimes such people will say, no, not me. And I always grieve when they say that because if they're really telling the truth, they're just stating they're phonies. They don't really belong to God. No Christian can walk in sin and God not discipline him. That's an absolute. Everyone is going to receive it. Moreover, we've all had human fathers. Here's where it ties in. The response that people have to the discipline of the Lord is very much related to the response they've learned from the discipline of their father. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. If you're disciplining right, you will gain the respect of your child much more deeply than you deserve. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits 
and live. Good parental discipline of children prepares them to properly respond to God's discipline. Number five, a proper response to God's discipline always brings us good. And that's what your children should learn. That a proper response to your discipline always brings them good. Is your discipline like that? Needs to be. Look at verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God always disciplines us for our good. Number six, discipline is a painful experience intending to lead us to righteous and peaceful living. Look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. That ought to be true about your discipline in your home. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. When you respond to God's discipline, it always produces the good of righteousness and peace. Number seven, discipline should always lead to a desired correction. Look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. We all have that. We think we sometimes are pretty self-sufficient, but in our spiritual needs, we always have feeble arms and we're kind of weak-kneed. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. God's desire is always that discipline helps us to walk more perfectly before him. And the final thought that I would share from this passage is that discipline must carefully guard and protect us against producing a bitterness in the one discipline. And this is probably the most important thing about parental discipline. We'll deal with that a little later as we talk about the importance of discipline breaking the will but not the spirit of your child. If you break the will, it always leads to a beautiful repentance and correction. If you break the spirit, and usually that's because of anger, inconsistency, or um, hypocrisy on your part, But when God disciplines us, he always does it for our profit. And if we've learned through good parental discipline 
to respond to discipline rightly will never be bitter against God. And always know this. When you're bitter against God, inevitably it's because you've responded to his discipline wrongly. Notice the verses that deal with that. 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. That's God's will for you. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. I loved what our young people sang. Yahweh is holy. That's what he's always trying to produce in you and me. Holiness. Then he says something rather startling. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Anytime a root of bitterness against God comes into our lives, we've missed his grace. We've missed his grace. And a root of bitterness is one of the most destructive things that can ever happen to any person. When that begins to take root in our lives, inevitably, it leads us to great trouble and to the defiling of many. Discipline is one of the most important words and concepts we ever look at. It's worth learning well, parents and children, young people. It's an important key to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have not been able to touch upon this outline that was shared with us this week. But what important message it conveys. We realize, Lord, that learning to discipline our children and helping our children respond to discipline in the way that God intends is one of the great assignments of life. So necessary, so important. Help us to be the kind of people who treasure to capture the very essence of good discipline and to live it out and to share it with our children for their benefit and growth and happiness and good. And help us all, we pray, to learn to respond to the disciplines of God. Thank you for them. Help us to rejoice in them to welcome them as friends. For Jesus' sake, amen.
few weeks ago, I spoke to you from Revelation chapter 3 on the church at Laodicea. And we talked about the importance of buying from the Lord Jesus and the urgency of the day in which we're living. And you remember in that message we mentioned you can't buy from the Lord Jesus Christ with money. You buy with faith and with prayer. And Jesus counseled us that we would buy from him gold refined in the fire that we might have true riches and white raiment that the shame of our nakedness wouldn't appear. And we were to buy eye salve so that we could have spiritual seeing. Now it's fascinating to me that each one of those expressions of counsel from the Lord Jesus has to do with the subject of discipline. Now the first one that speaks about buying gold, true riches, it's even mentioned that true riches must be refined in fire. Now that's talking about the discipline that God brings into our lives that has a way of bringing out the true riches that discipline is designed to produce. And then he suggested that we ought to buy white raiment. That has to do with spiritual purity. Now that comes from the discipline of prayer. Because uh, we don't get right with God and talk about those things in our lives that ought to be cleaned up apart from prayer. And the third thing he told us we needed to buy is ISAB so that we can see. And that requires the discipline of reading the word because spiritual seeing comes only from understanding the scripture. So much in life has to do with discipline. In my judgment, it's one of the most urgent needs of this time to talk about it, to get involved in discipline. The April 23rd issue of Christianity Today quotes an author by the name of John Guest from his book, Only a Prayer Away. And in this book and article, Guest stresses the chaotic confusion that a lack of discipline in a person's life always creates. He gives us some very insightful words, and I quote, Discipline has become a dirty word in our culture. I know I am speaking heresy in many circles, but spontaneity is greatly overvalued. The spontaneous person who shrugs off the need for discipline is like the farmer who went out to gather eggs 
as he walked across the farmyard toward the hen house, he noticed the pump was leaking. So he stopped to fix it. It needed a new washer. So he set off to the barn to get one. But on the way, he saw that the hayloft needed straightening. So he went to fetch a pitchfork. Hanging next to the pitchfork was a broom with a broken handle. I must make a note to myself to buy a new broom handle the next time I get into town, he thought to himself. By now it is clear that the farmer is not going to get his eggs gathered, nor is he likely to accomplish anything else that he sets out to do. He is utterly, gloriously spontaneous, but he is hardly free. He is, if anything, a prisoner to his unbridled spontaneity. The fact of the matter is that discipline is the only way to freedom. It is the necessary context for spontaneity." End quote. How good that quote from John Guest. And in my understanding, it touches upon one of the most urgent needs in our American culture, in families and homes and in personal lives. To many people, discipline is almost as outdated as AM radio and black and white TV. It's just considered something that doesn't really belong in this life of freedom. It went out with the horse and buggy days. Now that's terrible error to feel that way and to think that way. Self-discipline has been replaced by a philosophy of be good to yourself. Ever hear that? Be good to yourself. You deserve it. Give yourself what you want. Grab all the gusto you can get. You only go around once. Civil rights, personal rights, human rights. And the right of free choice has been carried to unprecedented extremes in our culture. It's used to promote everything from abortion on demand to the limits of classroom and parental discipline. And we're told it's not good to do those things. People need to be free. Corrective discipline has become suspect. Spock, uh, in his uh, baby care writing, has really played it down. Now, the harmful effects of a lack of emphasis upon discipline reaches down to the most urgent of human needs. It's where we live. And how are you disciplining yourself? What is your attitude, parents, toward discipline of your children? Are you just kind of going along with it? Or are you a real student of it? Are you understanding that this is one of the most important responsibilities you ever have? 
is to teach discipline. It has everything to do with personal freedom, with social order, discipline. Now, I spoke on this about three or four weeks ago on a Sunday night, and I shared uh, as an introduction some of the biblical reasons why discipline is so important. I want to review those quickly this morning before we get into the outline of this continuing message. Why is discipline so important? Please open your Bible to Hebrews 12 if you have closed it and just look with, with me at some of the things that are set forth here. First of all, discipline is designed by God to assist you and me in the struggle against sin. That's the purpose behind it. Uh, look at verses uh, uh, 3 and 4. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, and all of us have that, every one of us, you're in that struggle if you're a Christian. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's obvious Jesus did. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son or my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. You see, God's discipline is meant to be a help to you in overcoming sin. A second thing, a right attitude about discipline will protect us from losing heart when discipline comes. Did you see that in verses 5 and 6? And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that we, that's the verse we just read, but look at 6. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, if you have a right attitude about discipline, that won't threaten you. In fact, you'll be very glad that God loves you enough to discipline you. He's not angry at you. When he disciplines you, he loves you. It's a wonderful attitude to have. Sometimes I've heard Christian people say, oh, I must be doing something wrong. God is, God's angry at me. He's no, God loves you. And uh, he's really favoring you. And that's true of correct parental discipline of children. Discipline also by God is an inevitable experience of every Christian. Did you catch that in verse 6 and again in verse 8 where he says, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline. Everyone. Every believer. But if you don't, he says, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So expect it. It's inevitable. Good parental discipline of children prepares children to properly respond to God's discipline. That's so clear. Um, notice verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is not disciplined by his father? Verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? So if you are properly disciplining your children, you're preparing them to respond to the discipline God always brings to Christians. Also, a proper response to God's discipline always brings us good. I love that. Look at verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. God's discipline is always good for us. Brings good. Discipline is a painful experience, but it always intends to lead us to righteousness and peace. Look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. We've all experienced that. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Discipline should lead to a desired correction. Look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may be, not be disabled, but rather healed. One of the first things we ought to say when we believe God's disciplining us, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? An open heart. Lord, what do you want me to correct? So important. Now, discipline must be carefully administered and our attitude toward it must be carefully guarded lest we become bitter. Notice verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. What an awful thing to miss God's grace. He's talking here about discipline. How can you miss God's grace in discipline if you respond to it with bitterness and resentment? Notice what he says. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. How do you respond to discipline? God's discipline. Are you growing, changing, rejoicing in the goodness of God, in bringing it into your life? Now, all of this to introduce us to the importance of biblical discipline. Now, much of what we're going to have to say is directed toward parental discipline but it has application to any position where discipline can be administered. And the first point of biblical principles of discipline is that a good disciplinarian role models what you intend to teach. Good discipline role models what you intend to teach. Now this is one of the most searching uh, aspects of being a Christian. I remember how uncomfortable I used to be when 
I would come to verses like Paul so frequently states. And I think it would be well for us to look at some of them again. The first one is found in Philippians 4, especially verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What a statement. What a role model. Call. Whatever you've heard, seen, whatever my life has taught, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I'm role modeling the way to walk in the blessing of God. Now that's an important principle of discipline. Let's go on and look at some other verses. Uh, look quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, verse 1. What a statement again we have in this text where he says, follow. Well, actually, I go back to the closing verse there, the previous. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Role model what you intend to teach. One other verse from First uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 12, where once again uh, he makes a rather uh, strong statement about this responsibility that we have. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, if you think, as a parent, you have the right to say to your children, don't do as I do, do as I say. You are building a terrible Terrible foundation for discipline. And you are introducing chaos into your home. David Busby has a tape series that he spoke to youth leaders. And we listened to it in our staff meeting. And the whole series of tapes are focused upon living a life worthy of imitation. One of the most humbling series I've ever listened to. And you ought to check it out of our tape librarian and listen to it. Living a life worthy of imitation. Hypocrisy never works in discipline. It only makes you look foolish and only makes your children have bitterness about your discipline. Hypocrites make terrible disciplinarians. Dr. Dobbinson speaks about the number one way that you can stimulate your teenagers' faith in God. You know what he says it is? 
Let me quote it. Be a good example, because this is an age of idealism. Your child is sensitive to signs of hypocrisy or inconsistency. Be honest about your failings. Now, I think I used to feel that when Paul would say that, that Paul must have felt he was living a perfect life. Now, it's obvious as you read Paul's life. He didn't live a perfect life. There were times when he failed. I think of that quarrel he had with, with Barnabas when it was so divisive that Barnabas went his way and Paul and Silas went their way. So Paul wasn't a perfect human being. And in one of the texts we read, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. But Paul did know that in his life, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, through his understanding of the Scripture, that Jesus Christ was living his life in the Apostle Paul. And he was an example of love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And they got left out patience in the fruit of the Spirit. So that he could say, be followers of me. He was role modeling what Jesus Christ can do. And discipline to be effective demands that kind of spiritual attitude. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. In fact, sometimes you can teach more through your imperfections than you can through your perfections if you use them right. Not too long ago, a couple shared with me that in the discipline of their son, they felt they'd really blown it. They had just become violently angry at him and said things they shouldn't have said. They knew it the moment they said them, but in anger they were saying them. And when I talked with them, they just were feeling so totally defeated. Wondered if, you know, they just had lost their son in that failure. And I was able to share with them, you know, you have in your hands one of the best tools you will ever have to teach your son about discipline. I said, you have an opportunity to go to your son now and say, son, we really failed you. We sinned against you. In our responsibility to discipline you, we said things we should never have said. And we want your forgiveness. Will you forgive us? Notice I carefully avoided any reference to the fact that he deserved his discipline. And he certainly did. But when you ask forgiveness, when you blow it, you don't. You don't say, son, you just exasperated me to the point and justify your anger. That's not role modeling. When you blow it, 
your child needs to hear you say, I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? When you handle it that way, you are role modeling what you want to teach. And the message is coming through. Love and encouragement must precede correction. I hope you understand that discipline absolutely requires love and encouragement as the role model of your life. Otherwise, your discipline won't work. It won't work. Notice how that comes out in this Hebrews text that we read. Look at verses 5 and 6. You have forgotten that word of encouragement. I like that. That addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes or disciplines everyone he accepts as a son. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but it does wonderful things for me. It's, it's very comforting to me to have my heavenly father say, Mark, because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. That encourages me. I know what to expect. I believe every parent needs to have good communication about his discipline with his child. And the more we get into this, the more you'll see that. So your child is not shocked when you discipline them. He knows beforehand you've encouraged him to know it's coming. And it's coming out of your love and out of your divine responsibility to train him to respond to discipline. Because God's going to discipline him. We have three daughters, as all of you, most of you know. And it's been fascinating to watch how each one of them has responded to discipline. Uh, I remember our second daughter, Donna. She's a very, very sensitive girl. And... Um, she was so responsive to our discipline that we had to be very, very careful how we disciplined her because it would just crush her. She responded so much to love and encouragement. And it's very, very necessary when you... There are two words really involved in this whole matter of discipline that are just vital. One is the word word praise and the other is the word correction or blame now praise needs to be the constant daily practice correction and blame needs to be very seldom and do not combine praise and blame when you set out to discipline don't do that I like an illustration that um, that Bill Gothard gave to the pastors 
about a father who said to him, I use a sandwich approach to discipline. I give a little praise before I layer it with a little reproof. And Bill Gothard responded, that's a bologna sandwich. <laughs> that's a bologna sandwich. That's a good way to describe it. Uh, usually, when you think you ought to do that, what you've been doing is failing to commend and praise your child on a regular basis. You never need to mix the two when you're administering discipline. In fact, if you do that, you know what your child's going to say? Uh-oh, here it comes. Every time you praise him, what's he going to say now that I've done wrong? God commends you and me in such wonderful ways in his word. And uh, he wants us to learn that. He wants us to put it into practice. Well, I need to close the message there. I hope that you'll take the outline in your bulletin and keep it in your Bible. We're not going to publish a new one every week. We will have some out on the uh, table. But put it in your Bible. Carry it with you. And in your devotional time, Meditate on these things. They're on the very cutting edge of any hope for revival. I believe that revival, if it comes, will have to express itself in a whole new approach to attitude about discipline. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you've instructed us to role model what we want to teach and to precede any discipline with wonderful words of encouragement and love so that when the discipline comes, it'll be deeply productive in the life of the one to receive it. For Christ's sake, amen.